It's what we do, baby! This is Race Wars. Race Wars. I have the power! Yeah! How's it feel? With Kurt Metzger. You're out of your fucking mind, dude. And Sherrod Small. Saddle down, bitch. Race Wars. That is gonna stick. Imagine leaving your house at all. <laughs> I don't even want to anymore. Me neither. What at first I did. At first I was like, you can't hold me back. Right. Now I'm like, I hope this extends a little more. I'm so happy to be held back. I just, I don't see a reason to leave here ever. This place is magnificent. I love my cage. Yeah. <laughs> I love my beautiful cage. How Working are you? at home is, is, is much easier. You don't have to get dressed. You don't have to fight the traffic. Right. You can put the computer on and you're working. That's right. Herb, can I tell you to introduce yourself? I, yeah. We've never met. Okay, well, I'm Herb, Herb Dodell. Excellent. And I'm in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and I've been on Shiraz's show before. Great. In fact, uh, it was a great show with Ann Coulter. We did it, I think, last August, oh. and it was a very fascinating conversation. Shiraz is a great host. He is. And I thought this would be very interesting to try this Zoom, and uh, here we are. That's right. And so what do you do? Shrod booked you, so we're just meeting for the first time. <laughs> what do I do? Yeah. Well, I'm a retired Superior Court judge. I, you know, I was going to say, you look like a judge, and even the background feels very judge-like. You have big judge energy. Finally, <laughs> Captain, believe it or not. There we go. <laughs> if I forget his sound. There sounds, we go. You guys see me? Hear me? No, we yeah, don't. Yeah, we, we hear you. Now. Okay, hold on. Let me fix this. going to show up on the right. Let me fix this video. There we go. Oh, hey, Sherrod. How you doing? Hey, Judge. What's up, Judgey? Uh, how you doing? I can't complain, man. I'm, I'm maintaining. I'm trying while. to. Uh, yeah, long time no see. This is the unique way of having a discussion. I can tell you that. That's right. Welcome to the future, Judge. <laughs> the future How's everybody here? doing? We're doing Good. it. I'm in this place. You know things are tough when the highlight of your day is going to the post office. <laughs> there we go. Somebody came in with jokes. He came in hot. <laughs> well, the fact of the matter is it's been very, it's very interesting and it's kind of fascinating because today is my birthday. Oh, really? Happy birthday. Thank you. My wife said to me, what are we going to do? I said, we're here. Why don't we just change seats tonight? You sit where I usually sit and I'll sit. Do something a little different. That's and right. Switch it up. You you didn't tell you didn't tell her you were gonna be a soldier in the race wars today. <laughs> I'm a soldier in the war every day. <laughs> James, why do we see half of your face? Uh, let me see. Uh, there we go. I gotta lean back a little. Where are you in a Where are you in a fucking spaceship? <laughs> yeah, I gotta escape the Earth. It's too much disease here. <laughs> no, no, I just I was doing another video. I got a space background for another video. Wait, what video that you need a space background? Uh, it was like an, uh, sort of an ad that I was shooting where I was in space. You know, you know the, okay. the, light, the life. That's, <laughs> I, can't, well, I can't help it. Thanks for being here, Han Solo. <laughs> thanks for having me. Think yes. about it. It looks like a, sta- a spaceship. It really does. Yeah. I was saying to myself as I was watching it before, I said, where is this guy? Well, Sherrod yeah. called me in the space station, the International Space Station. I agreed. Yeah. Because it was Sherrod, I, I, I turned down Barack Obama's <laughs> podcast, uh, but I went on Sherrod's. I respect that because you love race wars. It's, uh, you know, it's part of your DNA. It's true. Yes. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a soldier. 
I'm a and foot how soldier. The how the family holding up? Everybody's good? Yeah, everybody's good. You know, we, we, this, is our, this is our ideal life, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yes. On an island by yourself with your family. Yeah, and then just watching TV every night. It's great. Yeah. You're finally bonding the way that you always wanted to bond when the world was regular, but you could get it done now. I know. People would say, hey, can't you just go out for coffee? And I would try to say no, but now I can say, no, I can't. It's coronavirus. <laughs> uh, Judge, how are you holding up? Uh, I was talking to my chickens the other day. I have two chickens. Okay. I was saying, how are you guys doing? And they responded by saying, we feel like we're all cooped up. And <laughs> uh, he came in hot tonight, Karen. These jokes. <laughs> the bottom line is it's a strange feeling to be in one place all the time, 24-7. Yeah. It's yeah. now been almost two months. And I've gotten a lot done, stuff right. that I probably wouldn't have done before. In fact, that's probably what's happening to most people. Yeah. The thing yeah. that you were going to do and you never had time for it, now all of a sudden you've got time for it. I yeah, think so it, it's one of two ways. You either get done all the stuff you didn't have time for, or you accomplish less than nothing. <laughs> because no one's telling you you have to. It's very self-directed. Like, people who were going to do, do, and people who didn't want to do, just pieced out. Yeah, the doer's still doing, and the donor's still doing, baby. Donor. You believe that. <laughs> it, it, it's very true. And then, and then there's all the self-help people lecturing everyone. There's all the self-people who are lecturing and saying, you've got to do something creative every day. And I'm like, I don't really need another homework assignment. Like, this was, yeah. this was fine. This was enough. This was enough. I don't need you to give me projects or a new hobby. Right. Like an internet nerds. I don't want to live my own life. But yeah. a lot of people are stuck right now not getting paid. Because, Judge, you, you know, you, it's about people's rights right now. What rights do we have? A lot of people are not getting paid. They don't know how to get unemployment. Unemployment is a fucking runaround. They fucking time you out on the fucking websites. You only got three minutes to do it. I don't know how elderly people do it. Because you got to be off the, you got to fill out the whole application within a three-minute limit. Or they'll push you out and you got to start all over. Mm. Well, it's really, it, it ultimately it turns out to be a question of balance. Like most things. Okay. In fact, I think when I was on your show last time, we were talking about, I was assigned to restraining orders. And that's where I sat as a presiding judge for about five plus years. And all of those restraining order type cases, hearings, trials, and whatever, really turn on the question of balance. Mm -hmm. you know, what, what's acceptable and what's not? And who's going to decide what's not? Yeah, so open it's open variable. Issues. And so you, you have to weigh what you need to do using balance. And now we have in this world, we have the physical ramifications and we have the spiritual ramifications. There really are two separate elements. In fact, if you look at the positivity, and I tend to always try to find the positive in anything that I'm doing, and there's always some silver in the lining. I don't know where the lining is, but there's some silver somewhere. I know they're putting it in socks and shirts now. So we are getting to a point where we're doing something. But the fact of the matter is, I had to decide many times whether to restrain people from speech. Mm. You know, because can you say whatever you want? Is there free speech? If you look at the First Amendment, it's free speech. The question is, how far do you allow free speech to go? Right. And who, yeah, okay. We as, as, as bench officers have to decide what's fair and what's reasonable and when can the government step in because we are the government when you when you're on the, in the court and you're making decisions that 
are affecting people's lives every single day, every day. That's what you do every day, whether it's restraining orders or trials or landlords, whatever it is, you have to, you have to weigh the balance between one and the other. There's certain speeches not permitted and we restrain it. In fact, you're, you guys know uh, Gloria Allred? Yeah, she's, she's my attorney. Uh, <laughs> is she really? I get into a lot of scandals, Judge. Well, the bottom line was she was being harassed by somebody. Oh, yeah. Who was uh, basically texting her 50, 60 times. Yeah, day. her and her daughter. I think the messages went to her and her daughter. I don't know if we should have gotten any messages, but the bottom line was she was in my court to get a restraining order against this person who uh, was texting her every day. And of course, the response is always, I have a right to speak my mind and say what I want to say. But there's a limit to how far you can go with that. When it's designed for harassment and with no legitimate public purpose, you have to weigh that and consider that and decide whether or not you can or cannot do it. There's a very famous case in California, which is it's called Brecky, B-R-E-K-K-E, where a 15-year-old boy was uh, writing to his girlfriend, and in his letters, his posts, he makes the comment, I'm going to kill your parents. And obviously- Sounds mother, like a lovely boy. <laughs> well, they came and wanted to get a restraining order uh, against him. And his argument was, I have the right to say whatever I want to say. If people are unreasonable, nobody's going to believe that. Whatever it is, restraining order granted. Oh, you granted I, that restraining order? I didn't handle it. That was my case. But that was the case that we used all the time um, on free speech questions. Because that's the balance and becoming even more prevalent now with social media. People are saying things on social media that uh, are damaging. Yes, I agree. I get it done to myself. I get it done. You stop them? Sometimes you can. And I always tell people, if somebody's doing that to you, it's an invasion of your privacy. That's a legitimate cause of action for which you could seek relief. Yeah. In fact, you can do it without a lawyer for a minimal amount of money by doing it in small claims court. You sue for $10,000 in California for an invasion of your privacy. The person's got to provide a defense. If they don't, then they default. You get a judgment against them for the amount that you're seeking. So there are remedies for people right. stalking you. Because we used to see stalking cases. I had a number of celebrities that came in, and, and they were being harassed by people hanging on the, around the neighborhood and whatever it was. So if you have to pick a word that really identifies what it's really all about, it's balance. So, uh, so Judge, James, have you ever been a stalked? Uh, I, I have been stalked, okay, actually. I, if you, there's a guy who has a blog that's literally called James Altucher is a psychopathic Zionist. <laughs> so and, you saw my blog. <laughs> you're disguising yourself as a white Can a Canadian on this blog, but yes. Uh, why wouldn't I? <laughs> and and he, he thinks I've implanted a chip into his brain. And he's constantly, what? yeah, and and that along with the Stasi, which I guess is like some sort of German intelligence agency, I'm trying to control all the non-Zionists like him, and uh, he's and I've had a, a number of people like that. But I, I am curious, Judge. You know, there is a, a big relationship between restraining orders, freedom of speech, protection of property, and so on. And then you mentioned social media. Where is the line in social media, which is on one hand a private company like Twitter or Facebook or whatever, but on the other hand is so widespread that it's almost a public institution the way the media is like a fourth branch of government? 
Well, you know, I, I actually had this discussion with Ann Coulter. Uh, about, okay, I'll call up Ann and find out what you're saying. Friend of the show. Friend of the well, show. Well, you know, it's a, it's a question of, uh, again, it's a question of degree. Social media is really going through uh, growing pains because so much of it is brand new. And the reality is, if you think about it, if you analyze it, what you're really talking about is what? You're talking about censorship. That's what it turns out to be. Well, is that censorship because... Who's going to decide what should or shouldn't be allowed to be broadcast? There are certain people who are not allowed to be on some of these social medias. For example, Roger Stone can't Twitter. He's he's off the show. And and there are other people just like him. And so somebody somewhere, the ubiquitous somebody... uh, Anything that I said that you're leaving... uh, are you back? Oh, oh, yeah. Karen, yeah, Karen's back. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I have one roommate, and she was um, kind of chilling in her room. She came downstairs. I couldn't figure out the headphone situation. I did <laughs> a quick little maneuver, which I'm glad was so subtle that nobody noticed uh, at all. <laughs> everybody noticed it, Karen. <laughs> well, bottom line, I really stayed under the radar, so you're welcome, guys. <laughs> About that, there's legislation now. For, for many years, there was legislation that provided for an immunity to these companies that uh, were basically providing these kind of platforms. Right. They couldn't, you couldn't sue them for what was actually broadcast or podcast or whatever it is. And we had as a guest on, on my show, I have a, show, a radio show also. And uh, there's a legislation that passed 98 to 2, federal legislation which basically removed the uh, immunity. And now these companies have potential liability. Oh, wow. What do you think they're doing about it? What are they doing? They're being very, very restrictive and they're being very tough as as to what they take. And they don't want to run the risk of getting sued by it. Yeah, a couple of my pictures got taken down on Instagram. They're saying it was too fucking inflammatory or some shit. I was like, really? What did you do? I don't know, something about racism. Race wars, but 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 judge, how do you? I, I thought there was an initial precedent where if a if a social media platform never moderated any of their posts, they couldn't be held accountable. If they just made it a general platform, they could never be held accountable. You're saying that's what was uh, overruled essentially. Well, they passed this legislation, as I said, just a minute ago, ninety-eight to two, basically provides for t- potential liability. It depends on what the company is willing to do and how far they're willing to risk. And the reality is, they generally, I think I heard you say, Karen, you're risk averse. I am, yes. Well, I, I'm not risk averse, but I will take a calculated risk, especially when it involves betting on myself. Well, if you were asking me, Sherrod, what's going on, yeah. legislation is going on, and it depends on who's in power and who's running the show. But so is that, this state legislation or is this like federal? Federal. Okay. But again, again, though, who decides who decides what should be sent? Like, let's say, you know, somebody says the social media platform says you have to agree with the WHO and anything against the WHO will get uh, banned from our platform. And then let's say the WHO changes their mind. Right. What do you do? Yeah, they stink, by the way. Exactly. They dropped the ball on the, all this fucking pandemic shit. They still are. Yeah. Now we're well, going to get banned. Bottom you line, get banned from the social media for saying something against the WHO, can you? 
I got I got one thing um shadow banned on LinkedIn. No, on yeah. LinkedIn? Yeah. Which for criticizing the WHO. Yeah, and 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 just I don't know what it was. I could see my post but nobody else could, so that's why I call it shadow banned. That is what so, that is. So what so whose decision like uh, do you have any rights in that judge if like as a, a private company? You can you well, you always have a right to sue for de defamation or and or the right of privacy. They're very different, by the way. Just for your listeners to know, in terms of defamation, truth is a defense. So you really can't sue anybody for defamation. And you also cannot succeed in a defamation case if what the person has emanated is opinion. Right. Opinions protected, but if you that that's not the law, at least in California and in New York, where right of privacy is involved, whether it's true or not, if you invade the right of privacy of a person, that that means interfering with their name and likeness rights, it interferes with their ability to get around without being followed or taking pictures of, and there are stories, of course, of people in trees taking pictures of people naked by the pool kind of thing. Right. Uh, right of privacy is different. Truth is not a defense, mm -hmm. and there's no such thing as opinion. If you violate the right of privacy of another person, and it's statutorily defined, and it's very easy for us to see whether or not the facts fit the law, because that's what judges do, you know. We take, if there's no jury, we become the finders of fact. Right. And when we find a particular fact, we have to apply it to see whether or not the law covers it or doesn't cover it. And then there's the, what's called the burden of proof, whether or not they've satisfied the requirements by, in most civil cases, it's a preponderance of the evidence, meaning more likely than not. But restraining order cases are basically quasi-criminal. Quasi-criminal means it may begin as a civil matter. You're seeking relief from the court. Right. There's not money involved. But once the order is given, in fact, it's part of every order that I've ever signed, and I've signed plenty of them, the party is required to turn over their guns within 24 hours to the police. You hear that, James? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I got the Second Amendment on my side on that one. Well, <laughs> the Supreme Court. Paul's Second Amendment is becoming a, a, a more focused issue now because of what's going on in terms of the potential autocracy that we're beginning to see some of the government administration things that they're doing. But the bottom line really is that uh, we sign an order, it goes to the sheriff or the law enforcement, it's served on the respondent, who is the party that would be restrained, and if they don't turn them over and notify the court within 48 hours that they've done that, it now becomes an order that's available. And if they get caught someplace, it is now a criminal case. Oh, so they're civil, but now it's basically a contempt of court. They're 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 violating the terms of a, of the conditions really that are set forth in that order, and that order is binding. It's appealable, not generally successful on appeal. Somebody tried to take me up on an appeal one time, and it was, a, it was an opinion about it. And the, the reality is, as long as we're working within the bounds what the statutes provide that we can do, it's fairly well going to be final. And that restraining order is good for California three years and renewable. Wow. 
And so somebody who's got a restraining order against him better not be texting Gloria Allred because that's it's been it's been basically enjoying. In fact, okay. it's, I, I ran into Judge uh, to uh, Gloria's partner, who I known when I was practicing full time. I said to him, it was about six months afterwards. I said, "Whatever happened?" He says, "The day you issued the order, it stopped." Yeah, because they don't want to get arrested. Sometimes people say, "Well, you know, people are going to ignore restraining orders." Yeah, they can, but the penalty is you get dragged in, and usually for some strange reason, it happens on a Friday. And you know what happens when they arrest you at five o'clock on a Friday? You say the Monday to the judge come back. In the can. You ain't going to tell exactly. me, judge. Fucking the system burnt me. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> I'm joking. I never been to no prison. With this face, it would take advantage of me. There are remedies because you want to know if, during the course of this pandemic. That doesn't change. In fact, the courts are closed. Generally, I'm retired now, but the courts are are closed with the exception of juvenile matters and restraining matters. Like domestic? What about domestic matters? Is that domestic matters or? Both, both domestic violence cases, which are usually heard in family court. Yeah, because my sister does a uh, family. Uh, she does a. Uh, uh, she works for New York City for uh, like family protection and uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. And they still they removed somebody from a house. Uh, removed the kids from a house uh, a day ago. The first yeah. case she had during the pandemic, where they had to go in and take a kid out because kids get abused. It's like a, a domestic violence and child abuse is on a on the rise right now because uh, everybody's home. And when you locked in a house with your abuser and then ordered not to go out, that's a fuck, that's horror. Uh, and I'm sure that they're seeing a lot of that. Yeah. I know in the court where I was sitting last, uh, they have two judges that are working right now at handling restraining order cases. And wow. so they're, they're operating. But it's interesting because you mentioned something about how is it affected. You take a landlord and a tenant situation, and I sat in that court for a while. You take a landlord tenant situation, somebody's out of work. You mentioned that. Yeah, like right now, rent. everybody's out of work and nobody yeah. can pay rent. What are people's rights right now for trying to pay rent? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to give you a, a, a brief overview. Yeah. Just a brief overview. Because James right. is a landlord. He can't wait to kick people out. I see his face. <laughs> no, no, I, I pay. I'm a, I'm a renter. But did you see this article in the New York Post this morning? All these people from. New York went out to the Hamptons, you know, they're all well-to-do people and they're refusing to pay their rent. And now we're getting into the good season in the Hamptons. So all these landlords are suffering because these rich people have refused to pay rent because you can't get evicted till August. Yeah. And that's why the poor people can do it because they know the rich people, they got to go too. So that's why you know you can do it. Well, here's, here's how it's being done in some places. And notably it's being done in California is that there's a moratorium on evictions, mm. meaning you still owe the rent. Right. If you don't pay the rent, they can't throw you out. In certain parts, in Los Angeles City, for example, it's got a period of time that runs from the end of the emergency situation. So if it lasts six months, that tenant's in there for six months without paying any rent. Mm. The problem is you still owe the rent. Right. And at the end of the day, when this is all over, and it will be, yeah. when it is all over, the landlord's coming and he's going to say, give me the six months worth of rent. Tenant's going to say, I don't have six months. I was out of work, et cetera, et cetera. They'll be evicted then. Mm -hmm. They basically bought a deferment. 
So but, they won't give you like some type of a, a grace period after everything blows over to knock off that uh that debt. No, but there'll be a lot of deals made because most people will not be able to pay a lump sum right. at the end of the day. And believe it or not, judges that are handling what we call here un unlawful detainer cases have a lot of discretion. We can, and I did when I was sitting in that court, grant stays. Right. Stay of execution, not, not the one where you sit in the chair with the electric, but the stay of execution means that they can't evict you by using what's called the writ of possession. And that's basically stayed. In fact, in, in Los Angeles County now, they won't even issue a summons, which means you can't even sue somebody for unlawful detainer. Oh, right and now. Cannot. Okay. For at least a period of time. And so landlords are probably going to try to make deals, either lengthening lease terms, require a deposit down the end of the road, and, and work it out. In fact, I would say of the thousand some odd cases that I heard in that court, probably 85% of them settled. Mm -hmm. right. the usually, I'll get out by such, such a date, and the case is over. And they agree. And we retain what they call jurisdiction, meaning we can control the process of, of that proceeding between those people. And so if the landlord comes in and says they didn't pay the rent pursuant to the agreement that we have or they didn't get out, we can still control those cases, which is what we've been doing. That's totally in disarray right now. Totally disarray. It's all different. Why not? Why don't governments or states or municipalities or whatever just freeze rents? Or why don't they just say that for the month, you know, the the beginning of the month of June, so so people just don't have to pay rent for this upcoming month um, across the board. And that way you don't have to deal with all of these like But they gotta do the same with mortgages too, so the mortgage would have to not be paid. Yeah, but why? Like they're doing it in Europe. What like you know, these and credit card bills and stuff. Everybody's like racking up all this interest and they're going into arrears and they're getting calls from, from creditors and it's it's adding to everyone's stress and there's no guarantee that they're gonna be able to make up this backlog of what they've earned. And maybe just like if we put a moratorium on these payments, temporarily people could finally catch up and not have their whole lives ruined by um, something so out of their control. Yeah. Um, James, what do you say I'm to that? that now because it's kind of interesting. And sometimes government people can be very creative. Yeah. But the key word you have to impose here in any discussion is constitution. Mm. You cannot take away from a landlord the right, right to get what they have a contract for. Right. I mean, the party can pay for it or not. Right. The default is a default is a default. Yeah. The government either got to pay for it or they got to, the tenant got to pay. Huh. Well, I understand. And I, I, I was just checking it out yesterday, as a matter of fact, because somebody called me about it. Uh, what they're doing is they're saying, okay, tenant, you don't have to pay rent for up to six months, but landlord, you get a tax credit right. for that rent that you didn't collect. Now, a tax credit is different than a deduction. A tax credit is dollar for dollar. So if your tax would have been $1,000 and you have a $1,000 credit, you don't have any debt whatsoever. Right. If it's a deduction, it comes off the $1,000 and you still have receipts for which there's a tax. So that is in, its, in some small way providing for some relief to the landlords. But okay. the, problem but, but, the, landlords, ahead, James. the problem for the landlords is worse because uh, they're not getting rent. 
right? You're not collecting anything. Let's say you own a 20 unit building and nobody's paying the rent. What do you have to do every month? You got to pay your mortgage. Yeah. If you can't pay your mortgage. The bank says, you know, I'm, I feel sorry for you that you're not collecting rent, but we'll take the building. And the bank, by the way, doesn't get in trouble. They don't own the debt. They've already sold it to hedge funds. The hedge funds have split it up and sold yeah. it. They sold the interest to one hedge fund. They sold the principal to another hedge fund. There's no one entity that owns the debt. So you don't know how far back it goes. Right. And th this is what happened in 2008, is that the entire system collapsed because no one actually owned your debt. It was all spread out through the economy and people borrowed against it 100 to one. And that's what's happening now. So at some point, it's like dominoes. Somebody doesn't pay rent, a whole bunch of people don't pay rent, and the whole economic system collapses no matter what. The government's not even aware of how far back it goes. Like the government can't make a decision here. So that's sort of the problem is that at the end of the day, the taxpayer or the economy uh, collapses. Well, that's partially true, <laughs> oh but not totally. Because at some place, somebody owns that asset. It's a note, whatever it is, trustee. They, they own it. And they have the standing to sue for it. The problem, as I just mentioned, is they can't do it right now. All unlawful detainer cases in Los Angeles County, as of yesterday, are stayed for a minimum of six months. In other words, you can't go to trial if you're a landlord. You can't get to a court because there's no court for you. And the bottom line is whoever owns that asset is going to have to deal with trying to collect it. And what are you going to do in terms of collection? when you've got somebody who doesn't have any money at all and no assets. So all that's fallen on just the owner? Like the bank's not, nobody else but the owner of the property is responsible for that? That don't seem fair. The owner of the property is the, is the debtor in an agreement with the bank. And so if they don't honor their commitment for whatever reason, and some people are arguing impossibility of performance is an excuse for contract. Generally not, not under these circumstances. And the reality is, they can't pay whoever holds that note, the holder of that note, when they can get to court. And so do you think there's going to be a whole bunch of uh, lawsuits after this? Because people are like this, fuck tons. you. Tons, tons, right? It, it, it's going to fill the court up. So everybody's going to be not evicted anyway because the court's going to be so backed up from all these cases, from mortgages and rents, that your case could be 10 years out. But, and and it's, it's not only possible. lawsuits. It's not only lawsuits, but there's, there's going to be huge repercussions in the financial industry like major banks major hedge funds all across the board these things are going to go bankrupt anybody who leveraged up to buy to make investments in real estate and particularly commercial real estate we're talking about residential but commercial yeah. is a disaster right now yeah That's much worse than residential what's going to happen is the collateral people are going to be grabbing the collateral many of these loans are collateralized right so, yeah but then the market for the collateral has gone down What's who's that? Gonna, who's going to buy office space in New York City when WeWork goes out of business? Like yeah. if, all the all the buildings in New York City are going to be useless. It's going to be empty buildings. It's going to be boarded up buildings. Go look the fucking the New York City in the seventies. Yeah, it'll yeah. be it'll be tough, but there'll be people who will take advantage of a yeah. negative situation. There's always somebody that's a bottom feeder that's going to get take advantage of the situation. That's and, why I brought you three here. Mm -hmm. We're going to do that, you sons of bitches. But, but, but you, right here. 
you know what though? No one's a bottom feeder while things are still going down, right? So that's right. the problem with a what's called a deflationary spiral. No one, people then wait for a bottom and that's what created New York City in the 70s. So you're talking about maybe four or five, six years before we start to see things reverse in a city like New York. I think what's gonna happen is you're gonna see second tier cities start to bloom during yeah. this period. And New York City is no longer gonna be the financial capital of the world because we could start doing meetings like this on, on Zoom, which was the main value of having a, a capital of finance in the world. It no longer has that value. That may be true, but there'll always be a value. It may be depreciated. Right. There'll always be somebody who's gonna come in and buy it as a bargain. And that's what will ultimately happen. And then it'll build back up in 20, 30, 40 years. But the legal system is going to definitely be inundated with all kinds of things. Yeah. Bankruptcies are going to be an enormous number. Bankruptcy courts, which are federal courts, are going to be inundated with people going BK. The problem is, and in, in the purpose of bankruptcy, if you have other assets and you go into what's called the Chapter 7, which is a liquidation of your assets in exchange for a discharge of your liabilities and your, and your debts. The problem is people have signed personal guarantees and your trustee in bankruptcy, the chapter seven trustee will take all those assets and sell them, whatever they can get 20 cents on the dollar. These, these people who are in business are buying it from the bankruptcy trustees on pennies for the dollar because the trustee can't do much with it other than maintain it. It costs them money to do that. They don't want to do that either, so they'll sell it. And that's what goes, is going on, and that's what will go on. The difference between a Chapter 7 and a Chapter 11 is a Chapter 11, you continue to run your business, subject to the control and the reporting to the court. But the reality is that court is going to be flooded, flooded. But I just wanted to mention one thing because I thought of it before. Mm. There are some benefits to this pandemic. Not, uh, I'm not talking about to the people individually, but you know that the greenhouse gases has gone down 36%. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. The earth loves it. The planet, I think that this you was know, the planet's plan because uh, they say people in uh, India can see uh, what the, the Himalayas for the first time in fucking 40 years because the smog is gone and LA, yeah. the smog is down. And yeah. By the That's way, I think, I think this is a great thing about what's going on, and you're, and you're right, Judge, uh, but everybody. All the fear mongering around the climate, everyone said we already went past the tipping point. And so now you're telling me nine weeks of quarantine and the problem is solved. <laughs> like everything, everybody was a hypocrite. That's a good but point. you also notice that people are not shooting each other. Yes, you know, no school shootings are down, mass shootings are down. Because there's no school you always stay in the house. Responding to this, you know, I believe philosophically and spiritually this is happening for a reason. Mm. We're not treating each other well. And when you have that kind of negative energy that you create in dealing with other people, what you do is you create something that's negative like this pandemic. And we all got to... It's going to ever get resolved, in my opinion, spiritual opinion, is when we start treating each other better. When we start loving each other instead of hating each other. Yeah, Karen. The bottom line is, until that happens, but you also can notice... That there are people are out there doing things for other people that never would have done it before. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're basically recognizing the situation and they're doing good things for other people. That's what changed this. It's like right after 9-11 when I, and then everybody was fucking saying hello and hi to each other and everybody was on one team. It's, it's, it feels like it's a 9-11 for the whole planet. 
Well, I, yeah. So, Sherrod, um, let me ask you about that. Like, like Sherrod, sorry, sorry, don't you feel that things have gotten I, – yeah. I thought, like, how you felt originally that, oh, for the first time ever, the entire human species is united, united under one goal. But then everything yeah. got polarized. Like, what medication you take – determines if you're a Republican or a Democrat now. Because we fall back into being human beings. We just can't help it. We just, at one point, we all like this. Hey, we can do this. And then just like after 9-11, it was like this. Oh, we're all came as one, but fuck you, Muslims. But it's like, it's like, yeah, can we leave that part off? So with this, it's like with the medication and all the other things that come into it and what state is going to open now and when to come back. It's like, that's when politics get into it. But the first uh, initial attack, that's when it was all fucking, you know, gravy for us. Well, you know, you asked me a question earlier about legal issues. Mm -hmm. Now, there is a constitutional question mm -hmm. as to how far can the government go restraining you, because I was talking about restraining you on an individual basis, yeah. and doing things, in other words, locking you in. And, and if you go out without a mask on, they give you a, a citation. They beating up black people, uh, Judge. And they're giving a handing out masks to white people in Central Park, but beating up uh, black people in uh, the Bronx. It ain't right. James, you say something about it. Look, it's never been right. But the fact of the matter is that there is a constitutional issue. And if you look at the preamble to the Constitution, and I actually read it on my show a couple of weeks ago, it talks about the purpose of the government is for the general welfare of the people. Yeah. And if you are saying we need to do this to keep from expanding this pandemic, and it's for the public's best interest, it's probably constitutional. On the other hand, up. people are saying, you got no business telling me that I can't go to work, I can't make a living, oh, yeah. I can't support myself, and how dare you tell me what to do? And I started protesting. So the question is, is it right or is it wrong? But it still goes back to the first word that I used when we started to talk talk today balance it's about balance i know that's and a title camera you hear the reality is some of us are following the rules all the way to the end i guess i'm a rule follower anyway yeah. but the reality is other people are just going to flaunt it they're going to go to the beach and they're going to be out there doing whatever they're doing if i'll be they, honest with you judge i've been a uh, social distancing away from everybody but the grocery store and my weed dude. <laughs> I got to see my weed dude, Judge. I'm sorry. You got to get him to open up a little stand in front of the store. I still got to go over there and get it. <laughs> yeah, well, Sherrod, I think another great outcome of this is going to be uh, marijuana is going to be legalized nationally, recreationally, everywhere. Yeah. Because how's, how's the government going to pay, pay for all the stimulus? They've got to start legalizing more things to tax them. You're right. You're right. So what else? Prostitution in every state? Well, probably uh, hallucinogenics, probably <laughs> lots of things. Okay, like uh, mushrooms. Sure about that. In fact, we had a, a, a porn star as a guest on one of my shows. Uh, stop bragging. About that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but it was uh, but it was on the phone, you know. Okay. <laughs> so the bottom, the bottom line is right? still worth it. There's a difference between human trafficking and sex trafficking and prostitution. Right. Prostitution has been legal in certain counties in Nevada for a long time, and they make right. money off of it, obviously, it's taxes. Right. Uh, I had a great joke, but not appropriate for this show. Everything's appropriate, not appropriate for this show. It's the only place you should If it's not appropriate for this show, then you can't say it on Earth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but the reality is, if you're talking about taxation, prostitution can be a very, very profitable. Lucrative. It's lucrative. Of income. 
It's the same thing when they were talking about legalizing, legalizing the weed. Same issue. Yeah. All that commerce was going on, but the government wasn't getting a taste. Literally. Yeah, you need a taste. Might as well get a taste. That's why I tell you, I tell everybody, everybody about this about prostitution. And my, my grandfather <laughs> taught me this. Uh, vagina is the pussy, he said. Pussy is the best commodity because you got it, you sell it, and you still got it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. That's a cracker. That's good. You still got it, James. I know. I'm trying to think if there's any other product like that. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty good. My grandfather was an economist. <laughs> but you're probably right. They're going to be looking for this. <laughs> you can pimp dudes too, Karen. Stop trying to own the whole. I feel this is a hostile environment. <laughs> Judge, you're making a hostile environment for Karen now. <laughs> this is well, my workplace, sir. <laughs> but the reality, in fact, I, I just wanted to comment because you, you mentioned earlier about a case that somebody's bought said you have a chip and they're, they're harassing you, whatever it is. I actually had a case, truly had a case where one lady claimed that the other person was reading their mind. Wow. She had x-ray oh. vision. What do you do with that? Mind, and she knew that she was in danger because she could feel it because she's reading her mind. So I asked the respondent, I said, uh, are you you're looking at her x-ray vision? Oh, yes, I am. And I can tell whatever it was. Obviously, there, there were occasions where you had to keep from laughing. But that's kind of like James's situation right now. Yeah, when yeah. Saying he got a chip I, in him. It's I, like, I'm that's why I mentioned the story because it, it really does happen. <laughs> if you want to talk about entertainment value, if you look at some of the cases, real cases, legitimate cases, you'd be surprised how crazy some people are. So how did you judge in that situation? Did you just throw the case out or what happened? Of course. I denied the petition for the restraining order. No, I granted the petition for a restraining order because the other person was a threat. Because he said she was trying to mind brain, uh, mind, read her mind. Crazy, but she was a threat. Right. You have to decide that. And one of the things that judges do is you, you have two litigants, one on each side. Your first job is to evaluate the credibility of each of these people. Right. You have to look at who they are, what they stand for, what they've done, what their histories are, and whatever. And that's often the criteria that you use to decide a case. That like and the in, burden of proof. In James's case, who would you side with? Because I'm kind of siding with the other dude who said uh, James. I, I, I just, I just put, sent to the chat window the link. You could see it. I got to see it. I have to see it. He, he has a whole bunch of blog posts, and, I, and I, I linked to one of them. But this dude seems like a threat. Like, he's not right? Yeah. Am I wrong Maybe about not. this? Maybe not. Maybe the guy is just a little on the offside. And he's not really a danger or a threat to anybody. Could James get a restraining order against him? He might, depending on how active the conduct is. How active is it, James? Is it every day? Well, no, I blocked him, so I don't really know anymore. But it used to be pretty regular. And uh, then he started an account with your name on it? Yeah, he's got quite a few different names and blog posts all referring to me. Come on, Judge. What we got here? And look, I, again, look at the chat window. I, I sent the link. It's, uh, uh, this title is James Altucher, Entitled Lying Psychopathic Zionist Scum. <laughs> I not see anything no, wrong with that. Remember, you're yes. required to show the lack of a legitimate purpose. Oh, okay. Well, then it's okay. <laughs> so you may have been all of those things. Yeah, it's, it's true. But the, the reality is that 
we're put in a position that we have to decide <laughs> the basic legal and uh, social situations as they come up. Please say that again, please. Let's say that to what he, because that's the title of the show, Karen. What, say that again, James. Uh, James Altucher, colon, entitled, lying, psychopathic, Zionist scum. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, that last part, all that part. Um, what race was what Altucher is. Part, believe it or not, believe it or not, that's probably not actionable because he's entitled to his opinion. Because it's, it's not a threat, though. It's not a threat, right? That's what free speech is about. Right. That's true. Free speech is not unlimited. In fact, there's a case that's 100 years old, Shemp, the Shemp case, that said that free speech doesn't include yelling fire in a crowded theater. Unless it is a fire. That's, that was an old case. By the way, that's not really the law. But the that's, fact a video, that's a vaudeville joke that I kept around. <laughs> it's a good thing you haven't got a live audience. So, so, whoa, Judge. So I object. <laughs> Here's the no question. tomatoes are being thrown at you today. No tomatoes. Yes, no. we have no tomatoes. What, the what? Bottom, bottom, bottom line is you wanted to talk about the effect this is having on the legal yeah, system. James, what were you saying just now? Well, I'm just curious. And the, the, what, what constitutional amendments might be in question with this lockdown? The First Amendment, for sure. There's a question about what's called peaceful assembly. But this is not what the constitutional frame is meant by peaceful assembly. That meant you could pick it and do things like that. Right. Well, if people are saying, I have a right to be on the beach and you can't stop me, government regulation is permitted as long as it's reasonable and it's not discriminatory and it meets other criteria. And so the cops could come down to the beach, pick up all the people and put them in the can mm. because the law, unless it's, unless it's contested, and what would have to happen, somebody would have to file a lawsuit to enjoin the government from doing something. It's called an injunction. Right. And get an injunction, probably right. would have to be done in the federal court, district court. Which is closed now, so you can't do it. <laughs> no, district courts are open. Uh, are they? Federal courts, yeah, they, they do whatever they do. They're doing it remotely? I don't know what they're doing. But they're open. I know they're open. Really? Yeah. But the, the fact of the matter is, Somebody will then take it up on appeal. That is a constitutional issue. And the Court of Appeals, what's called the Circuit Court, would have to decide whether or not it was a constitutional infringement or it was permitted under the government regulation with the police powers that the governments have. Those this is bound words. to happen, Judge. This is bound to no, happen in the next week well, or two. In New York City, they would arrest people who weren't six feet apart outside. Yes, black people. <laughs> How is that? How is that constitutional? Exactly. It's all going to come under the question of whether or not it's the, it's the exercise of what's called police power. The government has allowed certain police power, and there's lots and lots of cases that go back, probably to the time the Constitution was actually uh, adopted, that allows the government to take certain actions, which is what we're doing in the new training court. We're stopping people from talking. Mm. If you talk and you get caught doing it, and it's easy to track because people like sending texts and things like that, they're going to be dragged in front of somebody like me who issued the original order, and they could be held in contempt and put in a can. And that's, that's kind of serious. Or, yes. or it's charged as a crime in a regular criminal system, meaning you've got to go hire a lawyer, you've got to be in court, and all of those things, you have to, if you want to test it, 
that's where you got to go to test it. But the reality is if they're factual findings in the discretionary calls, if we conclude that these people are a threat, and what's required, by the way, is continuing conduct. In other words, if it happened one time to you, one time, you're not going to get a restraining order. If it happens two times, you're still not going to get one unless you could show the likelihood is that it's going to continue three, right. four, five, or whatever, and that's when you enjoin it. So every case is different. And it's like any other trial, although hearsay is admissible in restraining order cases, generally not admissible in regular trials. The fact of the matter is that you have cross-examination, you have lawyers. It's a regular, regular trial. And all the burdens, and the burden of proof, by the way, in California for restraining orders is by what's called clear and convincing evidence. That's beyond preponderance of the evidence, but less than beyond a reasonable doubt, somewhere in between. Uh -huh. Yeah, so that's burden. Not that's not the same burden in domestic relation cases. Domestic violence cases have a lower burden to get one. It's easier to get a, a restraining order in domestic violence if you qualify than it is to get what's called a civil harassment order, which is what I was doing. Right. So, so judge, what other amendments though? Like, for instance, being forced to stay at home or being forced to shut down a business, even though there's been no due process. Like, and, and by the way, I'm not saying I'm for or against either position, but these seems to, to butt up against the Constitution. I agree. Well, every case is going to be different. Every, every case is going to have a different factual scenario, and it's going to fit into some prior case that's dealt with the same subject. It's called stare decisis. Those are the magic words. We deal with precedent in, in the law. And if there's a case directly on point, which generally there isn't, there's always going to be some fact that might be a variation with the, the authority that you want to cite. But the fact of the matter is uh, every case is going to be different. Every case is going to have a different standard. In fact, I was, when I was sent to Lancaster and I was sitting in restraining orders up there, I asked the local commissioner what percentage he was granting. And he says he grants 80%. Wow. I said, it's outrageous. Wow. <laughs> you grant 80%, what you've done is you've affected those persons' lives. They can't yes. go for a job. It's on your record forever. Even if the order is three years, it's what? on your record forever. Cannot get it off. Even if you win, it stays on your record that there was a temporary restraining order. Wow. Really? Horrible situation. And so I said to him, how could you do it? He said, well, you know, I don't really know. And so I exercised my authority. You know, taking choices or whatever. So I asked my clerk shortly thereafter, I said, you, keep, you don't keep track of all the cases, do you? She said, not by numbers. I said, what percentage would you say that I grant of all the cases that come in front of me? Sometimes I'd have 20 cases in a day. Right. Come in front of me, she said, between five and 8%. So I took it very seriously. And uh, right. because I knew that I was affecting somebody's life. Forever. Willy-nilly grant something like that, which is, you know, for want of a better word, uh, staying on their life for the rest of their lives. And so you ask how it's affecting the law. People are going to act crazy now during this period of time because they're going to be desperate. Yeah. People who wouldn't, wouldn't even commit, commit a crime are going to take advantage of an opportunity. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. You're going to see more criminal cases of people yeah. who are desperate. You're going to see more man or white collar crime. We're gonna see. We're gonna see the the other kind too. People are gonna to be beating them on the head to take to take the cash. That's, I mean, that's I don't want to leave me out of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
you know, the criminal law and the civil law are very, very different. I, I was very fortunate. I started in my career as a deputy district attorney. I was a prosecutor. And that was on the East Coast or West Coast? West Coast. West Coast. Los Angeles County. Yeah, and yeah, you've been there, yeah, that's fine. So, and when I left, I did a lot of criminal defense. So I've seen how it works on that side. The attitude of the judges is enormously different. I believe very, that. Very, very different. Because the presumption is that people are guilty when they get in front of the court. Whether, whether the presumption of innocence exists and it's supposed to, it doesn't matter in terms of reality because if you talk to the public defenders, 95% of their, of their clients are guilty. So it becomes a matter of negotiation, how much time. It's basically, you want two, three years, four years, whatever. And I just saw it the other day, and it, 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 always, it always bothered me, even as a DA, it bothered me. People are pleading guilty to crimes they didn't commit because the threat of doing 20 years hard yeah, time. Yeah, just to get off, of course. So yeah, that's how they run it. The prosecutor office is fucking disgusting in most fucking cities. They just wrote and they're just looking for the, the they just want to get a winning percentage. Right. Well, not only that, because you are assigned when I was in the DA's office, where you got a sign, it took a look at your record. When you were winning most of them, you got the cushy assignments. You got to go to Torrance and eat lunch at right. the if you, if you're losing, it don't matter if you did it with the right reasons for for the right reasons or whether guilty or not. It just matters if you win or lose, and that's how they should not judge fucking prosecutors. Well, there's a lot there's a lot of discretion in the district attorney's office. A lot. On the other hand, they are loaded with cases. They can't handle all of them. So what ends up happening are plea bargains just to make a deal to get the case off the. Uh, yeah, and innocent they, people taking plea bargains just because they get threatened yeah. with other shit. They will. Uh, and they'll gross. turn, when you talk about snitches, mm. what'll happen is many people will turn because they made a plea deal, either for immunity or for either, either transactional or use immunity. There's a difference. And the bottom line is they get a less a sentence or they can pick where they're going to be incarcerated. Deals are made every single day in the criminal court. Very different in the civil court, but yeah. there it's usually about money. Not restraining with, but usually it's about money. Yeah. Whole different Criminal court is not about guilt. It's just about can they fucking get you to sign a fucking plea deal? Well, conduct sometimes leads off to be desired. It's gross, Judge. That's why I'm glad I got you on my side because if something come up against me, you're representing me and uh, James is going to finance it. <laughs> <laughs> You'll set up a GoFundMe. Bad charges, guys. I'll be behind the GoFundMe. It's going to be some bad charges, guys. <laughs> well, in reality, it, it, truly, if you're talking about race situations, minority people don't get the same justice as the people who have money. Money yeah. will... Blacks and Jews. You're going you're gonna to do better in certain courts if you're a minority person because a lot of the people in that court are minority people. You might but not what do court? If you're in a, in a different court. Judge Maybelline? <laughs> Karen, where were you in that joke? Here, here. <laughs> Judge Mathis, what court of black people get the best shit? <laughs> um, uh, generally, that's not true. It's generally, because they end up with the public defender, they can't afford it. Mm. A lot of the people, are yeah, not, that sucks. Can't afford it. They end up with a PD, and the PDs can be very good. The problem is they're overwhelmed. They have hundred. Shouldn't they make like uh, lawyers from regular firms do uh, public offender work? Like just like uh, you got to do jury duty. Like these, do, these do, lawyers do. need to do. New York has a pro bono statute, which requires right. lawyers to get a renewal of their license 
but they certify they've done a certain amount of pro bono, meaning not being paid for it. Work right. With, okay. So only New York State has that? New York, well, I, I can't speak to all the other states, but I know that they have it in New York. What about California? They, no. They encourage, the bar encourages you to do it. But it's not required. That's bullshit. They should all be required to do that. Right, James? Well, I don't know, because they're probably not going to – public defenders are probably going to care more about your case than some guy who just wants to get back to doing billable hours at the law firm. He probably oh, resents yeah. doing your case. But I'm curious, <laughs> what's, what's the demographic – some type of a <laughs> Tom Cruise movie out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true, too. John Grisham's all about, all about those. But uh, uh, what's the demographics of the average jury, uh, let's say, in New York City or L.A.? Well, first of all, there's something called forum shopping. Forum shopping is where the lawyer is looking for the best place to try the case. Right. For example, if you have a personal injury case and you're looking at emotional damages and pain and suffering kind of damages, you're better off downtown. Why are you better off downtown? The lawyers refer to it as the plaintiff's bank. Yeah. Because jurors downtown tend to be far more generous they're a bunch of slip and fall victims. That's what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, that's They all had a slip and fall in a grocery store sometime or two. So they like this. They owe him. When I was sitting in Ventura, which is in which is the adjacent county, I was there for the last couple of years. When I was sitting in Ventura and I was talking to some of the lawyers, you know, you, you see people in the lounge and stuff like that. They're notoriously cheap. Jurors are notoriously cheap. A, a case that's but worth dollars downtown. It's worth half X in Ventura. Not that the people are. Because it's too white. The people in Ventura are too white. That's why they moved that uh, Rodney, Dan uh, Rodney, Rodney King uh, trial to Ventura, didn't they? Simi Valley. Which that, is white that white jury? <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, a lot of the population of Simi Valley, which is relatively close here, uh, are police officers. So if you get a jury, yeah. you a juror who is a, a cop or a retired cop or whatever, Looking at somebody who might, a family. might be predisposed against you as a defendant. Yep. On the other hand, yep. if you want, if you got a pain and suffering case, you're looking for somebody like as a nurse or a social worker, yeah. somebody who cares about the yeah. people. And that's the jury right. you want. And lawyers have what's called peremptory challenges. You get to kick off a certain number of jurors. If they tell you that it's a science and you can always pick a jury and you know who you're going to get, it's far as scum. Telling you right now, it's like a box of chocolate. You don't know what you're gonna get. And truly, sometimes <laughs> you say to yourself, "What a great result! I never thought that person was gonna do A, B, and C." And it goes in the other direction too. Yeah. You think that they're gonna be fabulous, and they're not. You have an accounting case with dealing with lots of. You never can tell. You gotta kick the accountants off because they're gonna look for something he doesn't done or yeah. some other theory. So you yeah. kick them off. And, and they're going to be like this. So we know better than them, and I'm going to prove him wrong. Yeah. And you want to know how long That's how they pick people in an orgy. you got to be really. <laughs> well, you have to be, you, you got to be kind of an actor, a psychologist. And also in an orgy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same thing. <laughs> potato, potato. No, we use potatoes in orgy. Like the most intense experience, one of the most intense experiences of my entire adult life. I couldn't believe that they just, just regular people. It's like a professional task. 
to be a juror. Jury yeah. duty, yeah. Sit there, it know, should be. You should be have to. Well, taking notes is optional. People are just sitting there dozing off. I'm like scribbling mad notes because I love homework because I'm a Jew. <laughs> and I was, I really, I took it so seriously that the other jurors did not like me. <laughs> like, they thought I, you were a Zionist psychopath, probably. A Zionist lying scum psychopath yeah. shit. And I just like made us do it. Like there's a right and a wrong way to do it. They gave us clear rules. We all had the notes. And I was like, all right, then let's do it. This is like people's whole lives. And it turns out- Exactly, we that's how I treated it. We wanted to break for lunch so bad. Like no one was feeling it. Everyone had already just made up their mind ahead of time. And they were very explicit with us. They were like, here are the you know indictments or whatever. These are the criteria to find for each one. And um, they said, you, you have to have a reason why or why not. You have to have a reason. You can't just say yes or no. So people would say, I just want to let it go. Or I think he did or I think he didn't do it. And then they would just sit back and kick back like, you were just supposed to go, oh, okay, let's just go. These people's whole lives hang in the balance and we're just gonna pick that after five minutes. It was like, it was wild. That goes on, That's believe awful. me, Karen, that goes on every day. Yeah, people, I know it does. They're they not getting paid. And so if they're not getting paid, they wanna get out of there as quick as they can. It's yeah. a Friday, three day weekend. They're gonna make whatever decision they can make because it gets them out of the, out of the court quicker. Yeah. Is somebody yeah. playing a smooth jazz right now? <laughs> well, I remember a case where the juror actually spoke to me after the trial and said, would I like a copy of her notebook? Yeah. Whoa. I took her out to lunch and she gave me her notebook and she said about one witness, he's cute, I wonder if he's married. It was in her notes. You know what? Uh, I was so traumatized at the end of this case because we, so this guy, this guy obviously assaulted this woman. It was like almost on camera, not quite on camera, but he was following her. It was kind of an open and shut situation. But the way that they had the charges was that you had, they like, it was like one higher level charge. If they were just like, did he do it? The answer would have been yes, but they, we had to find for intent or whatever. And so we couldn't do that because it was a certain way that he had to enter the apartment so that we could know he intended to harm her or whatever. And we just couldn't do it. Like they didn't prove it. So we got all the way to the, the process. We had to let it, you don't have a choice. It's like, it's really specific and all these rules. So if you can't find yeah. something you have to find against. And I was so traumatized. I went home yeah. in tears. I wrote the DA, the ADA, and a whole email specifying like in my non-lawyer, like law and order way, <laughs> how we found for every single thing. And, and later I was so upset that um, I, found, I found the, um, the woman who'd been attacked or whatever, I found her on Facebook and I messaged her and I was like, look, I was a juror on your case. And if you don't want to hear from me, I'll never reach out to you again. But if you do and you want to know what happened and why we had to let him go, um, I'd be happy to forward you this email that I wrote. And she was, it was so heartbreaking. I ended up talking to her for hours on the phone and I did send her an email. She was like, I thought you guys just didn't believe me. I thought you, I thought nobody cared. And it was so, so heartbreaking. <laughs> it was so, the trauma she was through thinking nobody cared. Yeah, it like broke my heart. You're somebody a good daughter for contacting her. Thank you. Somebody yeah. should write a book after interviewing jurors in cases as mm. to why they did or didn't do something. It'd probably be very interesting. I agree. Yeah. Fascinating reading. Because you always wonder, because you don't know what's going through their minds. You don't know what. Because they're just regular people. So you don't know. And sometimes when they make a decision, you just feel like they just didn't believe one side. It's like, it's not always, that's, 
Rarely the case. People that you, there are some people that you would look at them and you'd go, okay, this guy's going to be on his side. She's going to be on her side. And you're totally right. Like there were just be like, I would say the majority of the jurors just did exactly what you thought they were going to do on site. And there were a couple Right, right. You can read it. Yeah. Including me who were like, let's actually go through the whole process. And whatever the evidence says is how we have to find. That was not usual. Well, but, the, but you'll find the contrary many times. You picking a jury or unpicking a jury really when you're doing that you have no real clue yeah. what we used to do years and years ago we can't do it anymore is you would get a list of the names of the jurors and where they live not their street address oh my God. Their and so you'd hire an investigator oh. and you go out and you'd see what kind of cars in the driveway do they have an NRA uh, and you yeah. had a good idea you don't do that anymore because what what they did they took that list away. All it is is juror number one, juror number two. You don't know who they are or where they live. So you can't do that anymore. That's so creepy. And right. The you have the names, but that is for one. There are people who make a living charging a fee for helping you pick a jury. Wow. I tried yeah. it with a celebrity case. didn't work. And I said to myself, I spent all this money. I could have made the same decisions with or without this person. And he was dead wrong on a, on a, on a whole bunch of them. Mm. And so right. I think to make a great book. Like psychics. A book. What was the case? Can you tell us the case? Pardon me? Yeah, what was the, what case, was the case, Judge? I can't discuss the case. <laughs> You're not a judge anymore. <laughs> yeah, discuss it. What was it about? Give us. No, I was a lawyer then. I was doing it as a private lawyer many years uh. ago. And the, the reality is people always ask me this, and I think the public should know it. I can't speak for all my colleagues. I truly can't. But the fact is, I never, never allowed my personal feelings to any particular litigant to affect my outcome. And I tell the story all the time because it's really a great illustration. I was sitting in Beverly Hills then in small claims court, and this lady was outrageous, yelling and screaming, and she tried to charge the bench. Of course, the bailiff got there before she did. But the bottom line, she was... I couldn't keep her quiet. And the, other, the defendant was a guy with a three-piece suit, very quiet, a businessman, whatever. And I made my ruling. What did I do? I ruled in favor of the crazy lady. In her favor. She was right. She yeah. was wrong. She was no right. What I thought of her. And <laughs> that happens. say <laughs> that it doesn't happen subliminally, that you don't have some feeling that says to you, I don't like that person, I don't believe that person, whatever. Those are subliminal rulings, but for the most well, part, so right. you're not supposed to decide cases on personalities or how we believe about yeah. a particular issue. Not our job. Follow the law. That's what, and I did that for the over ten thousand cases that I that I handled when I was on the bench. I can honestly say, to my recollection, I never allowed personal feelings or feelings about an issue to cloud my thinking or my decision-making process, even if it may be unpopular with others. I know one thing, you look at that bailiff was there because she would have tore your ass up. <laughs> <laughs> was a loud, I, I'll never forget it. She was sloppy looking. Her hair was all over the place. She was, That's why she I rushed know. you. That's how you described her in the court. <laughs> <laughs> but what we, I told her one time, if she kept her mouth open again, while I was talking, she'd be, I would take her out of the courtroom. Yeah. She she calmed down after a while because she I, she knew she was going to be kicked out of the woods. I feel we like have that ability to do. I feel like you, you should have been the judge James. on the court. 
I feel like you should have been the judge on the people's court. Like you got that. Yeah, fuck Judge Wapner. Right. Yeah, you're kind of like. He need a judge show. He need a he need a show. He need a court no, show. Believe it or not, small claims court is like that. In fact, one time I was using some humor, and I got a call from the administrator. Said, you know, we didn't appoint you to be Judge Judy. <laughs> just do your job. And I said, I'm going to do my job. That's way. There was a, a jury of comedians ruled against you. Yeah. I'm going to call small claims comedy. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of Judy's cases, of course, they're all dramatizations, and ours were real. Yeah. And the reality is, I had 86 cases they... in one day. One day. Jeez. How could I handle 86 cases in one day? I couldn't. And so when you're in that court, it's got to be like quick. You got to have your documents. Yeah. You got to be ready to do it. But it's all a big crapshoot as to what one person is going to do. And a plaintiff who loses has no appeal. I don't know if people know that. Wow. If you're the plaintiff and you lose, no appeal. Defendant has a right of appeal. No lawyers. It's a storytelling. Wow. And so the stories are fabulous. Judy should probably keep track of them and get a book together of real stories. I did that in my book, by the way. I wrote a book. Yeah. You got to read the book, James. You got to read this yeah, book. All right, I will. It's very good. It's what's the book called? The trench to the, it's called From the Trench to the Bench. The trench yeah. was fighting it out among all the lawyers, and the bench well, is not. Yeah. And I include a lot of the stories, real stories, real true cases, in the book yeah. as illustrations. If it happened to somebody else, it could happen to you. Mm -hmm. That's the reason we use these cases as an illustration. So, one other thing I want to promote the show. It's called. Yes. Judge, you got to read James's books too. James got a gumbo books. James, tell him the title of your last book. Stay in touch, James, and I'll. I'll uh, all right, I read Ann Coulter's. I read Ann Coulter's book, High Crimes and Misdemeanors. Yeah. I introduced him to Ann Coulter. I introduced James too, right? You met uh, Actually, I met no. her on Fox Business in 2000. Okay, there you go. Okay, there you go. Bottom line is the show. Well, what's the name of your latest book, uh, James? Uh, well, my my most famous one is called Choose Yourself. Choose Yourself. That's right. That's good. So anyway, our show is called YouTube. It's called We the People. And you can see it on iHeart Nationwide. Mondays That's right, We the People. Thank so you for it, coming back on, Judge. I appreciate it. I really missed you. Good to see you again, Sherrod. Really. Always good to see you. All right. James, you wanna James, you wanna do a pluggy plug? Uh yeah. Find me on James Altucher at TikTok. Yes. Yeah. You know that's the like, Chinese are stealing all your information on TikTok, right? That's okay. They can have it. They're not, <laughs> not going to do anything with it. <laughs> that's fair. Karen? Um, find me on Instagram, Karen Margolis, K-E-R-E-N-M-A-R-G-O-L-I-S. And if you're, I'd say, over 34 and really attractive and make a shit ton of money, <laughs> find me on Raya as well. <laughs> Lord have mercy, Karen. Scrolling, and there's a couple real cuties on there, but it's like you can always just like look for more. So yeah. Stop making this a dating app, you <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> <laughs> This yeah. has been a great episode. Thank you guys for actually doing that. Really, wait, uh, wait, wait, wait. Really I, I, James. Karen, have you done any uh, Zoom dating? Like, no, have you had not yet, not yet, but that's definitely next, obviously. It's the obvious next step. I So one person, so Raya kind of sucks, but one person messaged me, and I was like, all right, here we fucking go. He is the smoking hottest person that I swiped right on. 
I messaged back nothing. That app is total trash. So <laughs> if you are on there and uh -huh. we happen to connect, then just hit me up, I guess. I'll probably be weird with you. Um, I'll probably be quite standoffish, but you know, you see me obviously. What am I my dating my dating app is worldstar.com. That's where I go on. That's great. <laughs> Should have got more. I need more black people on this show. Uh, don't forget to catch my uh, catch episode of my uh, new sports comedy podcast, Small Ball. Small Ball that I do at Embassy Row is available on Apple Music and Spotify. Check out the new episodes. It's fucking great. You guys were great today. Thank you for coming on. I miss and love all of you. Thank you, guys. So good, guys. Thanks, Rod. Thank you. I will, this episode will be out soon. I'll send you guys links to the episode. And we out. Yeah, Aaron, well. And we're on YouTube yeah. as well, so check us out. Yeah, race wars. Bye. Bye, guys. Love you. Bye.